Just so we know where we are, we're holding. Veholtzdu, you say in Yiddish. Veholtzdu, where are you holding? Just so we know where we're holding. We essentially, from the time, let's say, from Noah two weeks ago, we've been looking at what we called a tzaddik curriculum. People remember that? What would it look like to implement a conscious curriculum, a curriculum of consciousness? Not just a curriculum for education, for edification, or satisfaction, or any of the other actions. But what would it look like to actually create a synagogue, an educational model that had to do with tzidkut, with creating bodhisattvas, righteous ones, individuals who are paragons, paradigms, exemplars of righteousness. We might use the terminology of Martin Seligman, the great father of positive psychology. What would it look like to create a flourishing of humanity? What would it look like? A pricha, where human beings' seeds were flourishing, irrigated appropriately, they bloomed into everything that their potential could be. And what have we defined human happiness, as he does in his new book, Flourishing, is not just a happiness, but the totality of many different factors that come together for flourishing. That's what we've been looking at, actually. So during Noah, we talked about, some of you might remember this, there were three questions. Am I kind? Am I safe? Am I living for a purpose larger than myself? Kind, safe, and transcendence. I didn't know, but actually all of those things are in his book that I read this week. And then last week we looked at Abraham. We were introduced to Abraham, our forefather, the patriarch Abraham, who showed us a model of resilience, right? Abraham's life was a beginning with walking, and then no sooner had he begun to walk, then he fell down, and then he rose up again and walked again and repeat. Remember that? Like, walk, fall, stand, repeat. Resilience. And this week I want to talk a little bit about what happens in the Parsha this week, tomorrow morning, which is another moment where Abraham teaches us a little bit about what it is to live a righteous life. He does it by way of both action and inaction. He teaches us how to be and how not to be. In the first chapter of tomorrow morning's reading, chapter 18, we'll begin with Abraham. Avram is mending. He's been circumcised at the ripe old age of... Too old. <laughs> For anyone to try it at home, do not. And according to the tradition, according to Chazal, according to the rabbis, he is, he's mending. He's, he's not doing great. And it is super hot. So get the picture. Avram is in a tent. It's super, super hot. Some say that it was even made hotter by God to test Avraham. And the tent flaps are wide open. It is at the opening of the tent that Avram shows us what it is, how remarkable it is to be a human being whose purpose transcends his own life. I heard once from, I think it was a song written in honor of Aung San Suu Kyi, 
that when she was in house arrest, she was asked by someone, how do I help when I'm feeling helpless? She said, when you're feeling helpless, help someone. When you're feeling sick, heal someone. And when you're feeling closed, open someone. That's Avram. He's sitting at the opening to the tent. And we're told that three angels appear. And then there's a proliferation of activity. Avraham in verbiage, literally, not just words, verbs, vayara, vayar, vayarats, the krosam. He's running, he's doing. He becomes the exemplar of hachnasat orchim, of someone who welcomes the stranger. Here he is, mending his own wounds. How many people know people like that? You come into their hospital room, and before you've even sat down, and they're like, you're there to visit them, and they're already taking care of you. People know people like this? Anybody? I know everyone like this. My mother, I remember going to the hospital with my mother. She's like this. She should live and be well. I remember like a couple of years ago, people know the story. She fell here during Simchas Torah. And I remember we arrived at St. Luke's and she was bleeding profusely from the back of her head. Thank God she's okay. Don't worry. And I remember her saying like, saying thank you to all the nurses, <laughs> making sure the doctors had a place to sit. She didn't say, David, you haven't eaten dinner yet, but she, you know, she forgot that one. Here's Avram, right? He's so beyond himself. Man. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. Vayar, Vayarat, he's running. He's so much, his, his purpose is so much bigger than his present. His purpose is so much bigger than his present, so he's, he's putting himself out. He's constructing a world of beneficence. He's constructing a world of beneficence. He's in the construction business. That's Avram. I was sitting with a friend of mine um, over the summer, and we were, uh, we were in Jerusalem, and um, we were going over the things that most touched us during the month that we were in Jerusalem studying together. Rabbi Adam Kleekfeld from Los Angeles, and we were sitting together, and I told him what touched me the most about Jerusalem, what I had studied, what texts spoke to me, and he said, Here's my moment. He said, I was walking down a street in Jerusalem and, and there was a, an area that was under construction and there were a lot of workers there and he saw a sign in simple Hebrew, Zihirut Kan Bonim. Careful, we're building here. And it hit him so deeply. Those three words, he said, became his emblem. For every process whose end is far away, but they can't be seen. But we're builders. We are building a world. Are you a constructor? Avram, in the first scene, is constructing a world of love and beneficence. And then these three men, cum angels, tell Avraham that they say, where is, after he's fed them, say, where is your wife? She said, she's in the tent. And they give him good news. They tell him that in a year's time, your wife Sarah, who has been longing for a child, this is good, this is a gospel. This is good news. In a year's time, she will have a child. And you would expect at this moment, Avraham, and certainly Sarah, having received celebratory news, we would expect the text to go, woo, something. Abraham, who just ran to make sure that everyone was happy, 
From the moment he hears the good news that he has been waiting for, go look at the text in chapter 18 and find Abraham do anything. He doesn't say a word. He's not excited. He doesn't clap his hands. He doesn't jump for joy. He doesn't say anything until God says to him, why is Sarah laughing? Sarah laughed because it's hard to believe a woman 90 years old will have a child, but Abraham, mum's the word. What happened to Abraham's alacrity? What happened to his excitement? What happened to his joie de vivre? What happened to his construction business? Tonight's hook, tonight's takeaway, tonight's message is be in the construction business. And by that I mean that when you go and read Martin Seligman's work called Flourish, he writes a fantastic piece. He says something remarkable. He says, studies show that a woman named Shelley Gable, a professor of psychology at the University of California at St. Barbara, demonstrated that how you celebrate is more predictive of a strong marriage than how you fight. Wow. How you celebrate. <laughs> this one's for you, Rob, Robert and Randy. But you guys, we know you guys. You don't need this. But I'm going to just tell you. Because if it made Robert say wow, then it's a wow. How you celebrate is more instructive than how you fight. And he calls the way we celebrate together, the way we receive good news, when the tent is wide open and guests are coming in, there are four attitudes. And the one that the only one that has shown to actually work to change lives, my life, your life, relationships, is called active, constructive listening. Active, constructive responding or listening. Which means that when someone brings you good news, someone brings you any news, you actively engage them and you construct, not destruct, what they've brought you. Hey, Dad, I had a great conversation with Carol Hart this week. Or hey, Ariel, or hey, Randy, or hey, Robert. Do you actively engage the other, ask a question that shows enthusiasm, and ask them to deepen their sharing? You can be passively constructive, or you say, oh, that's nice. That's called passive construction. Oh, that's nice. Are we watching the Met game tonight? Right? Let's say. Negative or passive, right? Passively destructive is somebody gives you good news and you completely ignore it. Avram is passively destructive in chapter 18. He's been running around with all of his strangers. It's so wonderful. But his wife just got good news. You would expect Avraham to go over and say, how's that feeling for you, Sarah? That's great news. We've been waiting 90 years. 90 years. What a windfall. I was thinking about this as I was, of course, thinking about Halloween and being at a doorway and how we welcome in that which is scary. Okay, stretching a little bit. <laughs> but I was especially thinking about it in light of, of the 20th anniversary of Yitzchak Rabin that will happen this week. And my friend Yehuda Kurtzer, who wrote an incredibly important piece for the Shalom Hartman Institute. He's the president of the North American 
Shalom Hartman Institute. And he wrote this. There's an off-sided statistic that 70% of Israelis support a two-state solution and that 70% of Israelis believe it isn't possible to get there. 70% of Israelis believe that it isn't possible to get there even though they believe right, and support a two-state solution. He writes, this may be both true and still totally not enough. Moral imagination, the Zionism that got us here, he writes, requires us not to halt our own progress toward building the Israel we want by focusing on the obstacles in our way, even if they are significant. Moral imagination demands that we locate a third statistic, one that is at least constructive, if not optimistic, that tells us what percentage of our own actions might create the possibility for long-term change, even in the most harrowing short-term moments. It will lie, he writes, in the emergence of religious and political leaders, some of whom we have today and some of whom we need more of, who root or who, I think it's route their policies of progress through a climate of risk without minimizing it or glorifying it, and who continue to envision a better future with both sincerity and pragmatism. He writes that Rabin's memory would lead the way in that. So between the pessimism of it doesn't work and the, and the legacy of the assassin, how do we create a world of kan bonim? Here we are constructing. We are constructing by focusing on the positive celebratory moment between us. I mean, I wish to give you each homework to go home tonight. Forget about the Israel two-state solution. When I'm listening to someone who's sharing good news, am I actively constructive with them? Am I actively constructive? Zihirut kan bonim. In this relationship, we are building by listening, by inquiring. Or am I passively destructive? Or even actively destructive? God forbid. Because it happens here. It happens moment to moment. A couple of weeks ago, there were a group of rabbis that put together a, um, a statement about the vitality of the North American Jewish community, and it was spot on, except for one thing. It focused very heavily on what's wrong. We're not going to move forward in our intimate relationships by focusing on what's wrong, although we have to be aware of it. And we won't build the world we want to build until we are actively constructing it. Zihirut kan bonim. The conscious curricula of tzaddikism not only is, am I kind, right? It's not just, am I safe? Is there something bigger for me? But in moments to moments, can I listen actively? Can I focus on the positive? Go out and buy the book, Flourish. I don't get any proceeds from it whatsoever other than thinking that maybe all of us can flourish a little bit more. Does that sound good? Yeah. Let's rise for Elenu.